Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you today? I'm okay. It's been a long time. It's been two whole weeks, hasn't it? It always is two weeks. It's almost like we have like a regular schedule or something. It's actually not always two weeks because every once in a while we do an episode earlier or later because of life schedules. This is true. This is true. So we've had a lot of really great guests and I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining at all because I'm really not. Um, if you haven't listened to any recent episodes, we've had some great people on. But I also had someone say, hey, we haven't had just some Kirk and Jeff time. So I think it's time for some Kirk and Jeff time. What should we talk about? Uh, let's talk about photos. This is a podcast about <laughs> photography after all, right? <laughs> okay, that, that's a good place to start. No, but that was a pun. You see, I said, let's talk about photos. Ah, you're referring to Apple's wonderful nomenclature where everything is just a generic name for the name and it drives people crazy. And it makes it really hard to find things when you do Google searches as well. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So let's talk about the Photos app. I've heard of this thing. What should we do with it? Well, I think we should talk about how we use it. And we both use it in different ways. And I would say that my use is probably pretty non-standard. Regular listeners know that I don't do a lot of photo editing. Um, I'm not into the Adobe Industrial Complex. And so the photos, the Apple Photos app for me is fine. It allows me to organize my photos, to have them on all my devices. I don't really care about the detailed, like, unsharp masking and, and, and sharpening and all these funny things you can do in Photoshop and Lightroom. So I'm, I'm quite satisfied with the, let's say, apparent simplicity of the Photos app. And also, one of the things that I've always been curious about, and we've talked about this a little bit before, is your method of ingesting photos. Because normally, I think a lot of people would connect a camera or put a card in and open the Photos app and bring it in and then do their work. And you have something different. You've got a whole other system of putting things in different locations. And I can't actually remember the details, and that's why we're here today. My workflow kind of started when I had 50 gigabytes of iCloud storage. And I realized that I don't want to import every single photo that I've taken because 95% of them are crap and I'm going to delete them anyway. I'm not one of these people who shoots 100 photos and keeps them all just on the off chance that in five years' time, I'll go back and think that this one was 1% better than that one. Jeff is just smiling and raising his hand. I'm feeling seen here. <laughs> yes, yes. It seems to me that too much clutter anywhere is a problem. If you had see, you can't see my desk now, but if you had seen my desk about a year and a half, two years ago, I was the guy who knew where everything was, you know that? Yep. Um, and I decided to clean off almost everything from my desk. And it liberated me mentally because when I'm looking at my computer and I'm looking at you right now, it's the stuff in the peripheral vision of the mess that removing that made life easier. So if I go into my photos library, I don't want to see a hundred photos of the same thing on the same day with slightly different angles and slightly different exposure. So my workflow is pretty simple. I separate the selection process from the other steps. So I start with a camera, I push the little button a bunch of times, and then when I come home, <laughs> I take that little card out and I stick it in the back of my iMac and I open Image Capture. Image Capture is the app on the Mac that you can use to download uh, files from cards, from cameras. You can also use it to scan. 
I would venture that a lot of people still don't know about image capture, even though, if I'm remembering correctly, that used to be the very first way to get anything into Mac OS X. I think it was. It's a very old app. It's very bare bones. Uh, in, in the current version in Big Sur, it doesn't automatically open anymore when you connect a card or a camera. It resets every time to a very small window. It resets the download folder location every time. It's really a mess. It does drive me crazy, yeah. Yeah. But it's a simple app. You see thumbnails of all your photos, and you choose what to import. So... So what I do is I generally import everything into a folder, which is um, intelligently called photo import. Ah. It's on an external drive. It's not on my internal drive because it's like 50 gigabytes of stuff um, that, that's just that I've left there over time. See, I don't delete all those photos, right? I keep some of them in case I want to go back, and I'll explain why later. So then I look at the photos that I've imported today. And I generally look at the JPEGs, and I use Quick Look. So on the Mac, you select a file, and you press the space bar, and it gets bigger, and you can look at it. And I can pretty quickly say, well, this photo's good. This one's terrible. You've got one that's blurry. You've got one that's, you know, your angle's slightly off. You've got lens flare, whatever. You can delete those immediately. What I do is I delete both the JPEG and the RAW file. Now, the reason I'm going through this process is because I don't always want to get all those raw files into the Photos app. They take up a lot of space in the cloud, and you're going to end up paying Apple more money and having more clogs in the cloud when you do that. So you're still importing all the contents of your card onto your external hard drive. You're not trying to, to do your selection in image capture, which still has really small... Uh, thumbnails and such. Uh, sometimes I will just select some of the photos, not all, but usually it's easier to just uh, import them all. But sometimes I'll know that this one's messed up. Why bother to import it? You know, waste yeah. time and electricity copying it and, you know, whatever. Yeah. So once I've got the photos that I think are okay, I'll look at them and I'll decide which I want to keep. Now, lately, uh, regular listeners know, and you know, that I'm a black and white guy. I'm really in love with Fujifilm's Acros film simulation. So most of the time, I'm using the JPEGs that come out of my camera, um, and I've tweaked the Acros settings to get it the way I like with extra highlights, extra shadow, um, dynamic range, etc. And if I see a photo and it looks good, I'll take it and then drag it into the Photos app. And I generally do this one photo at a time. So I can look at the photo in the Photos app, um, maybe do a couple of tweaks before I come back to the next one. I don't go like 20 photos and you know wait till later. My, my waiting room is that photo import folder. Okay. And that's where you're keeping the bulk of those photos for a while, right? So you still have that sort of like... I still have lots of photos. ...clutter spot. But it's not. It's They're not in my library, so I don't see them when I look at the photos library. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Now, sometimes if I've got a file that isn't quite right exposure-wise and I want to change it, what I do is I use the Fujifilm RAW converter. You connect your camera to your computer. You open this app. Um, then I take the raw file, I open it in the app, and so what this does is it goes through the camera using the camera's processor, and you can make adjustments, exposure, highlight, shadow, uh, film simulation, etc. Um, sometimes I'll want to use the standard Acros film simulation. Sometimes I'll want to use the one with a filter. There are three filter versions, red, yellow, green, that simulate the use of a filter on the lens. 
Gotcha. So at that point, I generate a new JPEG, put it in the photos library, and that's it. So this whole process, every time I take photos, is the sort of funnel is going into my Mac, and then you get a couple of things that drip out the bottom of the funnel that go into my photos library. Now, I do shoot some color photos. Sometimes I want to shoot a color photo of something outside, but also I shoot color photos of products for articles. Um, because most articles want color photos. And so the workflow is very similar. I rarely use raw files because, again, I like the Fujifilm um, film simulations. Mm -hmm. I think they have character. Um, So I'll generally do the same thing. And product photos, I don't know about you, but i got to shoot them 50 times to get what I want. Oh, yeah. I'll I'll do like a dozen. I'll bring them in. I'll say, no, that wasn't right. I have to start over. And then maybe depth of field changes or lighting changes, another dozen. And it's like can take an hour sometimes to get just exactly right. Yeah. Product photography is an underrated talent. Uh, We actually had a really good episode about product photography. We'll put a link in the show notes. Yep. So I'm still really curious about this this little holding area uh, that you have. So you're not bringing any RAWs into photos. Sometimes, but not often. Okay. Um, uh, Sometimes, depending on what I'm doing, but it's not my normal... um, It's not the normal way I work. So I'm just looking now. That folder is about 93 gigabytes, and it has about 2,200 files going back to 2018. Every once in a while, I go back and I look through it and say, is there anything worth keeping? Um, but it, it, they don't get in my way. Again, they're not in my photos library to get in my way. I'll generally keep at least the raw file of every photo that I brought into the photos library in case for some reason I do want to go back, regenerate a new Acros with the camera. Uh, important thing to know with Fujifilm cameras, you can only do this with the exact same camera that took the photo. Even if the same sensor and processor are on a different camera model, you can't... uh, So once you get rid of a Fujifilm camera, you can't reprocess those RAW files with the app since it has to go through the original camera. I did not know that, and that's insane. It is. It is. Now, you can understand that the processor is going to be different on different models. Yeah, Um, sure, but... Come well, on. <laughs> uh, if, no, but if they're a few years different, like it, when you went from what the XT2 with an 18... XT1 uh, to an XT3. XT1 with an 18 megapixel to the XT3 with a 24 megapixel, that made a difference. But yeah, I find that really annoying. So I could always process those raw files anywhere. That's not a problem. Okay. Okay. So, so what I'm hearing is, and actually you answered a question that I had, which was, do you ever want to go back and, and reprocess a certain image? In which case you would go, like, let's say you have a nice black and white uh, from outside in the garden and you say, you know what, I woke up this morning and that could be much better if it had more contrast and, uh, you know, more whatever. Then you know that that raw file is in your little holding area and you could go back to it there. Right. But I rarely do that. Okay. It just seems a little bit crazy to me because now you have to have these two different areas in your head. You've got your photos app, and those are the the things that you're working on. But then you also have this this side storage area, and you have to remember where things are. Whereas for me, I would rather just have everything in front of me so that I can see it. 
Yeah, it's the mess that I don't want. And remember, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Um, I know they're there if I ever want to go back, but they don't get in the way as I go through my library. Gotcha. Okay. Do you ever rename the, follow, the files or anything like that? Or you just never. stick with... Never. Okay. Yeah, never. So I can always find the original of a file in my library looking for the same number with RAF instead of JPEG as the file gotcha. extension. Gotcha. And then last question on organization. Do you do any... Uh, folders that break it down into like say date or anything or it, it's just no. one big bucket it's just one big bucket sorted by date so the most recent ones are you know at the bottom of the list and that's what I look at gotcha okay okay so uh, I've just shared my screen with Jeff because I want to show him a little bit what I do in the photos app with the photo Okay, I'm going to take some screenshots that we'll put in the show notes. Jeff, you're going to embed some in the files, and some podcast players can display the photos. Yeah. So here we have a photo that I took, I don't know, let's see, November 1st, 2020, it says at the top of the window. It's a photo of a flower in a Wedgwood vase. Uh, I shot it on my desk because it was just, I think it was a Sunday morning, and I looked in, and the light coming in from the window um, the window in my office faces east, and the light was really interesting. And I had this flower in a different place uh, in my office, and I thought, ooh, light, flower, camera, photo. Perfect. And I set it up, took a few shots, and this is the one that I kept. So I imported this from my photo import library. Um, and when I go into photos, the first thing I do uh, is I go to crop. Now... I've mentioned several times I'm pretty much uh, an aspect ratio fundamentalist, so I almost always use three to aspect ratios. Sometimes, however, and not in this case, um, sometimes I need to crop because there's something outside or crop because the angle's not quite right. When I shoot most of the time, I, I have the, the little thing, what would you call it, the little level in the viewfinder on my camera? Yeah, so the there's level. a little line and it's green when you're level. So when I'm outdoors, things are okay. When I'm indoors and shooting something like this where I was probably not shooting totally straight, I use the camera to frame it. And when I brought this photo in, I didn't need to crop anything more. Sometimes I will crop because there's extraneous things or whatever. Usually what I do, though, is I start by going into the adjustment uh, section of photos. And since an episode last year where Nick Bott, uh, the developer of Raw Power, was on, and he was talking about the auto curves adjustment in photos and how it's really practical, that's one of the first things I do. I'll just click the auto curves because what it does is it increases the dynamic range. Lights are lighter and darks are darker. And I find in most cases it's really positive for photos. I never mess around with these curve lines and drag them myself because I really wouldn't know what to do. It would be a mess. Um, <laughs> That's the best kind really. of experimentation. <laughs> well, I, ha I have at times and it's never worked. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally get that. So after I've done the auto curves, I look at the photo. And in this case, I wanted to get the background a bit darker. There's two ways to do this. One is to just drag the little slider in the light section that has the like the mini thumbnails and see what happens. And generally, that's the first thing that I'll do. Uh, in this case, I don't remember exactly, but I probably dragged it a little bit and then tweaked it. I noticed the brightness is a lot lower. The black point is a little bit higher than it might be automatically. I don't want to make adjustments now while we're talking because I'll lose my adjustments that I've made originally to the photo, and that would be terrible. <laughs> um, but you can see in the before and after, 
um, that the photo itself was a lot lighter, and I wanted to get the background darker to make the flower in the vase stand out better. So I tweaked the light. I then went down and I put a small vignetting on it just to darken the bottom left corner. The vignetting was enough to darken the corner, which was the lightest part of the photo other than the flower. Uh, you don't notice it on the other three corners because this is quite a dark photo. I often use vignetting with black and white photos. Uh, I try not to overdo it, but I think it's a useful effect. Since it's not a color photo, I didn't do anything with the color section, the saturation, vibrance, etc. I didn't do any retouching. Now, sometimes when I do flower photos, I do retouching. The little spots of dust or little bugs on flower petals, uh, I'll go in quite heavily with retouching sometimes to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. uh, because for me, those mar photos. I don't change anything with levels. I don't do noise reduction or sharpening. I know um, most people with digital photos are crazy about sharpening photos. I never bother to do that. Because for me, I'm trying to get more of a film look. My my acro setting um, has high grain because it's using the higher dynamic range. And with the higher dynamic range at higher ISO settings, you're going to get more grain. It, it's a very progressive grain in acros. It's not like just on or off. So what I'm not seeing you do is any specific black and white adjustments. Now, because this is a black and white JPEG that came in, obviously there's no color information that you would use in order to, to adjust different color channels, but there's still that black and white set of controls that you can do a few things with. Right. So unlike Lightroom or other apps, you don't have the different color channel controls when you're converting from color to black and white. All you have is a slider uh, with the little thumbnails. And as you do it, you can do this with any color photo, I was going to say on your Mac or on your iOS device, but it's no longer available on iOS. Uh, as you move the slider, you'll see that the different colors, the the contrast and the, and the darkness of different colors changes according to you know red, green, blue, etc. What you can change are the neutrals and the tone. The tone slider is, well, let's make it lighter, let's make it darker. I generally don't need to do that because I generally like the Acros look. I don't actually know what the neutral slider does because here, when I move it to the right, it makes the white of the flower much brighter. I would think that neutrals is mid-tones, but it's mm -hmm. not. Um, so I just leave these alone and I don't use the grain slider because the photo already has grain uh, because it's an Acros photo. Right. I'm going to include a screenshot of the photo zoom to 100% so you can see the grain uh, and you can see on the flower petals, etc. that it is very grainy. Uh, to zoom to 100% in the Apple Photos app, you just press the Z key. I think this is a really good example of trying to get it right in camera. And I know that we've talked about this before and the, the ideal is to shoot in camera, but it's also really different from the way I shoot. I tend to think about how something can be edited later if I'm not you know, getting it exactly right in camera. For me, it's more like the film process of this is what I see, this is what I shoot. And yes, I'm going to tweak because if you look at the before and after, there is tweaking. But it's I don't want to go in with all these complicated editing things. It's not that it's wrong. It's not that I don't want to know how to do it. I don't want to learn how to do it. It's just that the process to me doesn't seem something like what I want to do, right? If That's actually, no, That that is a great, great point because I think a lot of people think that the process now is you're going to go shoot and then you're going to spend three times as much time 
working on your image. And in some cases, I mean, for me, I think that's kind of baked in because I, I like getting into Lightroom. I like sort of messing about and seeing what can be made of a photo, even if it's a photo that I like originally. Whereas I know a lot of people who are like, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time in front of my computer or my iPad. I want to go take pictures. The whole point I'm doing this is so that I can go take pictures. Exactly. Yeah. And for me, the process, this is just like the tail end of the process for me. Yes, it's got to be done. There are things that have to be done. There's cropping and tweaking and there's optimizing, but it's, it's not the goal to spend time in front of the computer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's enough. Now, originally we were going to do a two-part episode where I would talk about my workflow and you would talk about yours, but I talked about mine so long that we decided we're going to call this an episode <laughs> at this point. And for the next episode, Jeff is going to talk about his photos workflow on iOS. So Jeff, have you got a snapshot? I sort of have a snapshot. Uh, my snapshot is more general, and my snapshot is clean your tripod. So I, I say this only because um, I pulled an old tripod of mine. I have this, like, giant Manfrotto. I don't even know what, what model it is. But it was basically the first tripod I had. It's really good. It's sturdy. And so um, I mostly use it if I'm shooting, like we were talking about earlier, product photos and things like that. Well, at some point, the the pan head, so it has a, a ball head on top and it's got a pan mechanism. At some point, it got stuck. I don't know if maybe there's some grit in there or uh, my office tends to get really hot. And so maybe because I didn't use it, something swelled. And basically, I, I just couldn't turn it. And fortunately, I have a very handy neighbor who has... Uh, oil and some sort of spray lubricant that he used to basically wedge that and, and, and get it working again. It's called WD-40. Okay. It's magical. I know it's magical. And here's the thing. I know somewhere in my house there's some WD-40 and I could <laughs> not find it. <laughs> they probably make a lot of money because people can't find their WD-40 and go out oh, and buy Oh, I'm sure. Another. I'm sure. I'm sure. So basically... My advice for this snapshot is don't let it get to this point. Uh, make sure you know how to clean your tripod. It's more important if you are, say, going to the beach and, uh, you know, planting the legs into the, the wet sand or, you know, standing in a stream, some of those types of things. But as I have learned, even just not using your tripod, having it in a, you know, potentially difficult in environment um, for storage, that can also uh, gum things up. So uh, just make a point of cleaning your tripods because it's so easy to pack them up, throw them aside, and then the next time you take them out, uh, they're stuck and you know maybe you're at an actual photo shoot. Kirk, what do you have this week? Well, I have an idea of something that I want to do when the world changes a little bit. There's some place I want to visit and in a very specific way. Um, I've talked in the past about Stonehenge, which is this fascinating place. It's about an hour and a half from where I live. And I visited Stonehenge three times. And when you go to Stonehenge, there's lots of people. And you've got these little low rope lines, like a foot or two off the ground, and you can't go by. And yes, if you have a good zoom lens, you can get some photos. But... 
There is another way to visit Stonehenge. It's called the Stone Circle Experience. And when the weather gets warmer, I want to do this. You get to go to Stonehenge, uh, a maximum of 30 people, and you get to walk amongst the stones. And they separate the group uh, into two. So 15 go in the stones and 15 walk around outside, and then they change. And with that few people, it would be a great occasion to take photos of Stonehenge really close, get really good angles of the stones. It's not cheap. It's 47 pounds per adult. Um, but the normal visiting is something like 25 pounds anyway. It's, it's a pretty expensive place to visit. Hmm. Um, so I would like to do this at some point when the weather gets warmer. If I know it's not going to be raining, if I know it's not going to be too windy, forget about that. It's always windy at Stonehenge. Um, <laughs> but if I know it's going to be good weather and I would try to do it either as early or as late as possible uh, in, in order to get either a sunset or a sunrise. It looks like the earliest arrival time you can choose is 6.45 a.m., which you have to arrive 15 minutes before, so that means you go in at 7. You'd want to choose a date where the sunrise corresponds to some time after that to try and get one of those great pictures of a sunrise over the stones. Or if you go at night, um, 6, 7, 8 o'clock, at that point, you might get a sundown. So again, you might want to correspond your timing to um, the sun. Yeah, even if you're not targeting a sunrise or sunset, you still have that low slanted light in, you know, sort of early morning and late afternoon that could also yeah, be Yeah, really you get nice. the golden hour light, which would even get me to shoot in color for a change. Good heavens. <laughs> do it. Do it. So I don't know when I'm going to do it. I don't know how busy this gets. I don't know if this is new because I know in the past they had special days occasionally for photographers when it would be around sunrise and sunset. And, and now it looks like... Um, this might be a recent thing. In, in any case, uh, this is something I want to do. And if I do, I'll tell you all about it in a future episode. And bring pictures. I will bring pictures. Excellent. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the end. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.